Good morning again. Um, this morning we continue our series through the book of 2 Kings. We'll be looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 37. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Because it's that many verses, I probably will not be reading those verses during the period of our sermon. So this is God's inherent, <clears throat> inherent word, and let's give careful attention to it as it is being read. You'll find it on page 309 if you're utilizing a pew Bible. This is the word of our Lord. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told a man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid on the bed, laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, 
urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say to you, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at this historically accurate narrative, this that actually occurred in space and time, in redemptive history, we pray, Lord, that you have chosen these, this means of grace, your word, to grow us in grace, to grow us in the knowledge of your goodness, to grow us in the knowledge of your character and your nature. And so we pray that you would even now by the power of your spirit illumine our minds, give us eyes to see and ears to hear exactly that which you would have us to, that which would tend to our growth and our equipping so that we might fulfill all the works that you've called us to before the foundation of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if one were to read the Bible without any presuppositions whatsoever and said to oneself, I'm going to try my best to put away any preconceived notions about the contents of Scripture that I might have, then I would submit to you that one truth that you would inevitably come to is that God is sovereign. That is, he is all-powerful and fully in control, in control of every single dynamic, every instance that occurs. The passage that's often used to make that point is Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20, where Joseph, after having been sorely mistreated by his brothers, he was sold into slavery by them, then falsely accused of rape, and then unjustifiably thrown in jail. 
After all that, when his brothers approached him fearful for their life because their father had died and now they're thinking, oh, now he's going to have vengeance on me. After all that, he addressed their anxiety by saying, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about it that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In every single instance in Joseph's life, God was keenly aware of what was happening. And God, consistent with his nature as a loving father, provided all that was needed. And that's the operative word, the needed. And not only for Joseph, but for every covenant member of his family. You know the name Joseph. You know the name of his brothers. But do you realize that when they went into Egypt, they were only 70 in number, and they ballooned up to millions? Now let me ask you, how many of those names of those millions do you know? Yet God took great joy in providing the needs of all those who were his. And so moving ahead in time, that is what we have before us this morning. God sovereignly intervening in the lives of two women whose names are purposely withheld as he is under, the writer is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Both women have a pressing need, but it's only obvious in the case of the first woman. If I were a movie producer, I would make three movies out of this passage. The first movie would be based on verses 1 through 7, which has one set of character, characters, the, 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 the woman her two sons, and Elisha. And then I would make a second movie based on verses 18 through 17, which has a second set of characters. Now you have a Shunammite woman, a wealthy woman, and her son who dies and her old husband. And then I'd make a third movie, which, has a, which would be a sequel to the first, and it would be based on verses 18 through 37. Throughout these films, I would have highlighted three themes, and these, this morning I'm going to, to comment through the grid of these three themes. They are God's response to his people's failure to provide, God's power over life and death, and faith in action. First, God's response to his people's failure to provide. This is found in, verse, in the first seven verses where we learn that this widow was a wife of one of the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets were a collection of men or prophets who gathered under the leadership or tutelage of a lead or head prophet. During the time of, in Samuel's days, he was the head of that school of prophets. And then Elijah, before Elisha, and as we come to this, pro, this passage, Elisha is the person who has the mantle of that position. And as such, Elisha was well acquainted with the woman's uh, husband, and she knew that her testimony concerning her husband's faithfulness to the Lord was true. For, for whatever reason, however, however faithful he might have been to the Lord, her husband's death resulted in her being poor and in danger of losing two of her sons to a form of slavery more akin to what's known as indentured servitude. That is, they would have to work as slaves until everything that was owed was worked off or until the year of Jubilee when debts were forgiven came. 
Now, if you ask, well, what's wrong with that at this point? It seems that that's God's word. Well, listen to what Philip Ryken has to say about her situation. For you see, it is a man of God's responsibility not just to serve God on the outside, but to also take care of his family. So we don't know if he did that. We do know that during this period of time, that period of time, Ahab and Jezebel were persecuting the prophets greatly, and so he could have died as a result of that. We don't know, but here is what Riken says. Although the prophet in this story may deserve part of the blame, his neighbors deserve most of it. Their failure to care for a widow and her fatherless child is a sure sign of apostasy, a turning away from God. Unlike the followers of Baal, the people of the living God always, always care for the marginalized. Riken went on to say the fact that his sons were about to be sold into slavery exposes a society that did not respect the ministry of God's word. As God's people, they should have known and respected God's word. They should have known God's prescription to love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to Deuteronomy 15, 11. It's a direct command from God. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Notice it's a covenant community. You are supposed to take care of one another. Add to this the fact that this was a widow and you start hearing verses like Isaiah 117. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Instead of doing this, what best describes the environment that was around this woman at this point was Isaiah 1.23. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. Everyone is self-centered. Everyone is seeking their own reward. Everyone is only for self. It's about getting for self. They do not bring justice, Isaiah goes on to say, to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. And so as a consequence of this aberrant behavior, God marvelously intervenes in the life of this woman and provides not just what she needed for that day, but for the foreseeable future. Of great note here is the fact that Elisha was not in the room when the miracle of this reproduction of oil was occurring because God is the one that was doing it. Here I'm reminded, brothers and sisters, of the old fable about the scorpion and the frog. You know what I'm talking about. A scorpion asks a frog to carry him over the river. The frog is afraid of, of being stung, and so he's like, oh, I can't, I don't know, you're going to sting me. And the scorpion said, but if I sting you, then both of us are going to die. Now that sounds pretty reasonable. And so the frog said, you know what? He sound, he's, that sounds right. And so the frog, you know, says, okay, come on. The frog takes him on his back and while they're halfway across the river, the scorpion stings him and they both start to drown. And the frog says, why? Why would you do that? And he says, oh, I've tried. The scorpion says, I tried. I tried. But it's my nature, you see. And so Christians, the point that I'm making here, we have been placed in Christ and we too have a nature. And so as a Christian who has this nature of Christ, we should be growing in the love we have for, for helping those in need. God is still providing now for his people today. But just like you heard me say to the little children, he's doing it 
through those who are called by his name. Listen to this description of the visible church that rose up after Pentecost. And awe came upon every soul, the awe of God. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to who? All as any had need. Not socialism, but those who have sharing out of their abundance with those who did not have. It is out of this same heart and principle that the Apostle James in, in James 1.27 wrote, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, it is the nature and calling of a Christian to be God's hands and feet to those in need. And in our widow's case, our sovereign God intervened through the man of God who was his hand and feet and marvelously provided for her and for her sons. Now, the second theme I would have highlighted in the movie of this chapter would have been God's power over life and death. First, we see that it was God who increased the woman's quality of life. It is God who has given us all that we have. It is God that's caused us to be in the state that we have. She absolutely needed, she needed operative word to pay her debt. And God provided her need according to his riches. But now as we come to the woman we find in verse 8, the Shunammite, we find a person who is enjoying a completely different quality of life. She's wealthy, and she is to be commended because unlike the majority of society, she acts in accord with God's word when she provides a place for Elisha to stay when he's in town. She extends the hospitality that God has called his people to. Riken also commented on her act of service, writing, God's people were to care for the needs of God's servants then after quoting 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, he wrote, The Lord is honored when a church provides the needs of pastors, missionaries, their wives, and their children. And so may I briefly say that this is precisely what this church does so wonderfully. And when I'm here, I'm speaking particularly about the way that we take care of the missionaries, that the way that we invest in being an intentional missional church and sending out missionaries, uh, providing for them both locally, uh, internationally, and for, in the foreign nations all throughout the globe. And so Elisha, in recognition now of this woman's generosity, wanted to bless her with some benefit. He offers her political and civil access of the highest order, but she is content with all she has. Remember, she's rich, and rich often people often have access to everything. And so she did not need any of those things. But, but, brothers and sisters, even folks who are rich have great need. There is no one walking on this side of the planet that does not have a need. And in her case, her deepest need was to have a child. Her husband was old, the pastor tells us. It tells us that specifically because it wants us to know and understand that he was past that point. And so what happens, Gehazi, his servant, his underling, says to him, hey, she, 
needs or would want or could have a child. And that's what he provided for her. Elisha hears the woman's greatest need from his servant, to which he responds by telling the woman about the time, about that time next year, she would have a son in her arms. Now the woman's response is telling. In verse 16, she says, No, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. In our vernacular, she would have been like, Dean, don't play with me like that. You know how much I've wanted this? You know how badly I've wanted this? Do you know what's been going on with me in my life? Don't play with me like that. It was the deepest longing that she had had for years probably on end. And God met her deepest longing, this woman who is unnamed. And we can only imagine the joy that she and her husband felt. But then the bottom dropped out. That which they desired most was given, was, that was given to them was taken away. Her son died in her arms. He went out into the fields with his father and complained that his head was hurting him. His father sent him home and he died in her arms. Could you imagine that? God gives you that. Think about what you'd like the most in life and need. God gives you that and you've desired for it. And you didn't ask for it because you thought it was impossible. And so you didn't ask. Then you get it. And then it's taken away from you in the harshest of providence. What would you do? Some have walked away from the fate when these things have happened. Some have questioned God harshly and continue to do so. What would you do? They missed the fact that God has been good to them in so many other ways. What would you do? This woman, in the case of this woman, she chose to put her faith into action. The last theme I would communicate in my film debut would be faith in action. And by the way, if you think what I'm talking about, this film sounds good, feel free to give me the money to produce it. <laughs> Listen, faith does not have to be perfect. The Shunammite woman could have fallen prey to a hopeless state of sorrow, but instead she chose to take action. She was hurting, as you can see from the text, verse 28, and spoke out of that hurt to Elisha. She said, did I ask you for a son? It goes back to what she's saying, I knew it was impossible. I knew it was something hard. Did I ask you for a son? Did I not say to you, do not deceive me, God? Why, oh why, would you give me something and then take it away from me like that? Again, she, should have, she could have sunk into despondency. But no, she chose in spite of all that. She chose to believe that the God who had given life could give it back. That was the same type of faith that Abraham had when he offered up Isaac. The same type of faith that Jacob had when he wrestled with God in Genesis 32 and refused to let him go until he blessed him. She refused to leave the side of Elisha. Elisha sent Gehazi ahead, said, take my staff and go and put it on this child. She refused. She stayed with the man of God. She said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. Like Jacob, I am going to hold on to you, man of God, because you represent the God of all the universe. Her words remind me of the apostle Peter 
who in the face of hearing some difficult words from Jesus, words that caused a great deal of people to leave him, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. When Jesus asked the disciples, are you also going to leave? Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. No matter what hard providences I deal with in life, God, the answer is you. Whatever the hardest postures and harshest things that I deal with, there is no other solution than you. There is no other place that I can turn to that will fulfill my greatest need. Could you imagine? God gives you that which you have desired, takes it away, but then you turn around and you respond in faith. Eight times between verses 8 and 37 of this chapter, Elisha, who is held to be a type of Christ, is referred to as the man of God. In verse 8, we hear the Shunammite woman say, I know what this is. This is a holy man of God. And as such, she was only willing again to place her faith in him and him alone. Sounds familiar? She understood that God was the only way. And so she placed her faith in him and him alone. And that faith was rewarded. Elisha accompanied her to the house, went up to the room, and he got into the room and shut the door and he prayed. It's interesting to note that Gehazi did not pray. Don't miss that. He prayed and recognized his own dependence on God. He recognized that God was the one that had provided for the widow. That God is the one that does all things. And he is just as dependent and just as much a sinner as the woman who was asking for his help. And so he prays and he lays down on him. And I want you to understand that this laying of his mouth on his mouth is not CPR or anything like that. He's simply pressing his body against him. And this should cause you to think of the Old Testament and Jesus when Jesus touched lepers. And it was said that when you touch the unclean, you became unclean. But his faith in the God that he served made it so that as he was laying on this young man, he was saying, may the life that I have be the life that you have. And God showed up and restored the young man. Brothers and sisters, this chapter prefigures our redemption. Like the widow, we too had incurred, incurred a debt we were unable to pay, the debt of guilt. According to Galatians 4.3, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, as one scholar wrote, we were slaves to sin, slaves to the world, and slaves to the devil. But God did not leave us there. Just like he did not leave the nameless widow and was concerned for her, he did not leave us there. We too had incurred a debt we were unable to pay. We too then was delivered. For as Galatians 4 goes on to say, when the fullness of time had come, he, God, sent forth his son, the true and better Elisha. There's a dynamic where Elisha is a prefiguring type of Christ and Elijah is a prefiguring type of John the Baptist. I don't have the time to flush that out, 
But here again, the true and better Christ, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions of sons, it says, by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We receive what the widow's son received, freedom from slavery, and the right to be and remain in our father's house, of whom it is said, there are many, many rooms set aside and set apart for us. Likewise, like the Shunammite woman, son, we were dead. And it was while we were dead in our sin that Christ died for us. In our case, we were dead in our sin. But our God performed the ultimate miracle on our behalf. Without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. He raised him from the dead. He who knew no sin took on all our wrath. Everything that was supposed to be poured out on us, he took it. He raised his only begotten son so that we might have life and have it what? More abundantly. This is not a prosperity gospel. God gives us every single thing that we need and the things that we need to fulfill not just our calling, but even to enjoy, I should add. Remember, these individuals, this Shunammite woman and the widow, one thing that they had different, well, I should speak specifically about the Shunammite woman. You think of scripture and you think of, of Hannah, you think of Sarah, you think of Manoah and Samson. You go into the New Testament and you think of Elizabeth. What did all these people have in common? They could not bear a child. But all of them were part of God's redemptive history of bringing forth a seed, the seed of the woman. All of them were part of God's redemptive history of being the people who were central. But here you have these two nameless figures who represent you and I, who will not be known on any grand scale, but God has great concern for each and every one of us and provides all our needs again according to his riches in glory. This is a God worth serving. This is a God whom we should walk in the confidence of understanding that he loves us and is providing for us every single need we have. The Apostle Paul answers one of the things that befuddles us in this in the situations where God doesn't always bring things back to life he doesn't always restore things and I'm talking about things in the world that we have that we lose he doesn't always do that but the apostle Paul asked three times for the ailment that he had to be removed and God's answer was my grace is sufficient for you his greatest need was God's grace at that time God's grace is sufficient for us, even in those times when there's harsh providences that we're dealing with. And what should we do at that time? Grab on and don't let go to the everlasting Lord that we have and the everlasting faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Let's pray. Our glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God that provides for us, that you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. 
and that you meet all our needs. We thank you for the greatest need that you've met, and that is our desire to be, our need to be reconciled to you through the shed blood of our Lord and our Savior. We thank you for the need to have your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and he now who has started a good work in us will bring it to completion. We thank you that he is with us and that he is working to that end. We thank you ultimately that you have caused us to be in your body and that you have given us the ability and the strength to now be your hands and feet on this side of life, ministering and serving our neighbors as we serve you. Father, we thank you and ask that you would empower us to live according to your goodness, to live in light of your goodness and the measure of the grace that you are extended towards us, and to be willing, therefore, to share our lives, to share the testimony of your goodness and the good news of the gospel to everyone you bring across in, uh, in your sphere of influence, in our sphere of influence. We pray these things all to the praise of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.